Plum Creek Church, and we are a place where you matter. Our mission here is centered around change lives, changing lives. We believe this happens through three important relationships, intimacy with God, intentionality with family, and influence with others. God has something he wants to say specifically to you wherever you are. Our hope is that you leave encouraged and closer to him than ever before. We'd love to connect with you online at plumcreek.church or on social media to see how Plum Creek is impacting our community and what opportunities we have for you and your family to get connected. If you'd like to support the ministry we're doing here in Castle Rock, two easiest ways are through the Give tab on our website or via your mobile device by texting any dollar amount to 720-606-5563. It's a secure connection with simple instructions to get set up. Thanks again for joining us today. We hope you'll enjoy this message. weeks, we've been uh, asking and exploring a universal frustration that I think every single one of us has when life throws at us excruciating circumstances. As we get in those, those tough times of life and we kind of just go, why God? I mean, why me? Why now? Why this? Why is this going on? Why is this happening? And whether you're a Christ follower, you've been around the church for a long time, or, or maybe you're here and you're, you're not even really sure what you believe uh, about God and if you really believe in him, when really, really hard times hit in your life, we, we, we kind of have this natural instinct to just start lobbing up prayers. And, and, and whether or not you, you know God well, it might even sound, you know, like, you know, to whom it may concern, or, hey, if there's anybody out there, God, would you just kind of, you know, if anybody's listening right now, I just, this, I need you to come through, or we've probably been there where we've said, you know, we haven't really talked in a long time, and I know you're not really happy with what's going on in, in my life right now, but if you could really just come through for me just this time, God, please, I just need you. I mean, no matter your religious persuasion, there's no matter what you believe, there's always gonna be a season of life where we are just kind of like, man, God, I feel like you're, you're inattentive. I feel, God, like, like you're just uncooperative, or, or maybe you're, you're, you're thinking, God, you're kind of late to this party. I was struggling a little while ago. Where were you then? Where are you? And when those seasons come about and we're, and we're pleading and begging with God and we're asking, God, I just need an interview. Can I just please get an interview right now? I, I need a job. Or God, I just, I just want a date. I need a date. I don't really even care about marriage, God, right now. I'm not gonna really be picky. I just need a date. Or maybe it's, God, I, I need insurance. We can't afford it, and, and, and I've got some sick kids. I've got something going on. I just need insurance right now. Or, God, I need to feel better. Or, I need my son to come home. Or, I need my marriage to get back on track. Or, God, I need you. I need my mom to be healed. Would you just come through just this one time? And as we've looked at it over these last three weeks, we've said that, that God's going to use the adversity in our life to grow our faith, to strengthen it. 
And there's gonna be times when, when we feel like God's silent or, or, he's, or he's, he's kind of distant from us, but that he's not absent, that he's right in the middle of it with us. And then last week we were challenged that when God doesn't meet our expectations, which is gonna happen, that we need to ask for wisdom so that God begins to change our perspective, not that, that we can pray and manipulate God to change his way and, and change his, but that we ask for wisdom in the midst of struggle. But how are we supposed to, to truly respond when God says no? When we ask him for something and we plead with him and we beg him and God says no, how are we supposed to respond to that? I know for me personally, my family and I, we've been going through this exact thing probably for about seven months. As many of you already know, we are, uh, we're, took a position in Richmond and we'll be uh, leaving Plum Creek and leaving Castle Rock. Uh, May 19th and 20th is our last Sunday. What's awesome is I'll be able to kind of, I, I think uh, God's got something for me to say on that last weekend, so I'm speaking on that last weekend. Uh, and, 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 but we're leaving in June, and man, it has been hard to kind of try to discern what God is wanting us to do. And then we would come face to face with people and we would, we would have conversations and it would, I would just kind of go back and go, God, please, really? We've been here for five years. We love the community. We love our church. We love our staff team. We've got uh, connections in the community that go beyond Plum Creek. It, it would just be so much easier if I could just stay. God, could we just stay? And every single time, God would say no. And I would just, I would begin bargaining. It's like, God, I've got, a, I've got a sophomore daughter that's about to be a junior. I've got three other kids. My wife loves her school. We just really like it here. God, could we just stay? And again, God comes back. No, this is what I want you to do. This is where I want you to go. This is what your next season of life and ministry is gonna look like. How do we respond when God says No. And I'm not talking about no to the crazy requests. You know, it's not the, God, I really think it's gonna be your will that I get a red Ferrari, you know? <clears throat> or God, I, I just, I, I really want a giant mansion. If you could just make that happen. Or, or God, I just need a pile of cash to show up at my doorstep. Uh, I just need to win the lottery. God, if you could just come through, I'll build the building. I'll give it away. I will, you know, get out of debt. All this kind of stuff is not the crazy requests. What do we do when God says no to those requests that, that seem like in our minds that are no-brainers? The why wouldn't he? Or a loving God would want to do this type of request. Why doesn't God answer that? How do we respond when he says no to that? What does the no do to our faith, to our belief that God is good, to our, to our relationship that we have with him? When he tells us no, what happens? And maybe you're in the middle of that right now. Maybe you've come in today, this weekend, and, and it's kind of like you're right in the middle of like, God, why aren't you coming through? Why? Or, or maybe you, you've been telling me no, and I've been, I've been praying for my husband. I've been praying for my wife, and they're not showing any signs of coming back. They're not showing any signs of wanting to work on this marriage. Or maybe you have a prodigal son or a prodigal daughter, and you're just like, God, please, would they just come home? Or maybe it's a health issue for you or a, or a health issue for a loved one. Again, maybe it's a job thing or a relationship thing or a school thing or a future thing. And you think if, if there really is a God, why wouldn't he answer this prayer? It's simple. I'm not asking for something extravagant. I'm just, I'm just trying to get back to normal. 
I'm just trying to get something that's, that's just in the average. Why would God be apparently so inattentive and so uncooperative with something that I'm asking him to do? You know, if you stay in that season long enough, if we stay in a season where we're just in that whole mode of just going, man, where is God? It brings some significant doubts into your world, right? And I'm not talking about just the, the, the doubts about God's character or the nature of God or, or does God love me? No, at the core of it, you begin to wonder, is there a God at all? Because after all, if he could, he would, right? And if he really, really loved me, he would do something. He would intervene. He would interject himself into this story. And when we sit in that for long enough, and for many of us, we get to a, pot, a spot that if God doesn't answer our desperate times during de desperate circumstances, it begins to inform us on our belief on the existence of God. And we begin to question it. And we find yourself, if, if that's you this weekend, I want you to hear this, that God's lack of cooperation is not an argument for or against his existence. That his lack of cooperation or his answering no or his, his, his not intervening, it's not a, 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 a kind of a proof that he exists. Because think of it this way. If lack of cooperation was proof that some, someone or someone or something didn't exist, I am sure there are seasons in my life that my children would not exist at all, right? You've probably been there. And there are seasons even in my, in my kids' lives that they would be walking around the house going, there is no dad, there is no dad, there is no dad. I don't believe in dad. Because for them, cooperation would look like a 100-inch, for some of them, a 100-inch TV that runs Fortnite 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and they could play at any time in all hours, and we would just bring them food. And then I've got another daughter that it would be like every single container in the house could be filled with slime and it would be all over the house and that would be cooperation. But there's some times where you just can't do that. So see, lack of cooperation doesn't prove that God exists or doesn't exist. And this alone right here, for you, this might be a hurdle that if you could jump over or that you could step on in your own life, that it would allow you to begin to move forward on your own journey in the direction that God would have you. And you can move in a, in a new way with, with new hope and new freedom and new purpose in your life. And in the midst of a struggle, it doesn't just become about the circumstance, but then you begin to see God's path and how he is, he is leading you within it. But we have to get to a point in our life where we can grow through the no. We have to grow through the no. We have to get to a point in our relationship with Christ that, that when we ask him for something or we're begging him for something and the answer comes back no, that it doesn't just crater us, that we don't just punt on our faith, but that we actually begin to grow through the pain and through the struggle. A few weeks ago, we looked at a man in the Bible named John the Baptist. And John the Baptist found himself, I mean, amazing man, set up the, the road for the Messiah, telling, asking people to repent. He's the man that, that baptized Jesus. I mean, can you imagine the faith that it would require for him to baptize Jesus? God made man. But he finds himself in prison in a dire situation, and he wants to hear from Christ, and so he sends a message, and the answer, the response from Jesus comes back, no. No, I'm not gonna rescue you out of this situation. No, I'm not gonna you know, snap my fingers and allow the king to change his mind, which he could have done very easily. No, I'm not gonna allow you to disapparate out of the prison into a safe place. That's not gonna happen right now, John. 
How does he handle it? Well, we're gonna look at another name and another man in the Bible uh, today. And if you've been around in church for a while, you're probably familiar with his name. And even if you haven't been around church, uh, you probably know his name, but you might know, not know all of his story. And we're introduced to this man in the New Testament as Saul, but we later become to know him as Paul. And Paul was, took the gospel, the truth about Jesus, to all the world. That's what he did. He was amazing. He, went out, he was the first one to bring it outside of Jerusalem and Judea and spread it all over the place. And so he spent 20 years of his adult life getting on ships, uh, heading around the Mediterranean rim into hostile environments and telling people that God had done something very, very unique in this world, that he sent his one and only son to, to the world to die for our sins, for all of mankind. And that's what Paul did. And so in the midst of this, he was shipwrecked, he was beat up, he was stoned, he was put in prison, he was snake bit, he almost drowned. I mean, it was, a, can you imagine? I mean, every single day with Paul probably was an adventure. You never knew what you were gonna get. There were probably some of his buddies who were like, mm, no, you go ahead today. Uh, you know, snake almost got me yesterday, so you just, you just kind of go on. But clearly God knew his name. God called him to this very, very specific task to take the gospel out into all the world. And God did miracles through the life of Paul. Paul healed people. And for 20 years, he did nothing but serve God faithfully in amazing, amazing ways. You see, Paul became a Christ follower about three or four years after the resurrection. And before that, his whole you know, goal in life was to persecute the church, to wipe it out. He wanted to wipe out this knockoff religion that was a knockoff on Judaism, and he just wanted to wipe it from the face of the earth. But then he became a Christ follower. He was on a road to Damascus, and he encountered Christ in, a, in, a, in an extreme way, and God gave him a calling on his life that was apart from that, and his life was forever changed. And he became a Christ follower. He was all out, all in for Christ. Just like he took the same zeal that he persecuted with to make it grow and to expand. He spent years training with Peter and, and with uh, James, the brother of Jesus. And then he spent those years just kind of taking the gospel to places that had never been before. But very soon after uh, Paul became a Christ follower, it wasn't all just roses for him. Scripture tells us that he became afflicted with some sort of a physical ailment, we think. It was a big deal. It was something that, um, that, that, that was an obstacle for him to do what God had called him to do. And it, it kept flaring up on him. And so when he was like, you know, I don't know if I can do what God asked me to do if this continues in my body. If I still have this ailment, if I still have this impediment, if I still have this, I don't know if I'm gonna be able to do that. And so Paul does what you would do and what I would do. We ask God, would you please remove this? Take it away. God, you've called me to do this, and now I'm in this situation that it just seems untenable. I can't do it. Please, would you remove it? And God told him, no. No, Paul. No. Three times. And he says, no, I'm not gonna do that. It doesn't matter, Paul, how much faith you have. It doesn't matter how long you pray. It doesn't matter how obedient you are, how long you fast, how much you promise, or how you bargain with me. The answer to this one is no. And Paul, you know that I love you. You know that I know your name. You know that I called you. And you know what, Paul? I know that you're gonna be famous, that people are gonna name babies after you, that one of the most immaculate, phenomenal buildings ever built is gonna be built in your honor. 
I mean, here's one of the men that that God used more than any other man besides Jesus to forward his gospel, and yet the answer was no. Right there, that should give you and I a lot of hope, right? That even if we just stop there, that here's Paul, this amazing man that was all out, all in for God, that, that, that heard from God, that had this very specific task, and God says still to him, says no. You see, it's not a result of what we do that is gonna elicit a response from God. It's all about what he wants to do through us. And so he tells Paul no, but in replacement, in response to this request, almost like a, a, a supplement, God promised him something else. And what God promised Paul through experience and through scripture, I can tell you this, that the same promise for Paul is the same thing that he promises you and that he promises me. So if you've got your Bible, I want you to open up and if you wanna follow along uh, on your phone to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We're gonna start in the middle of verse seven. And so let me kind of tell you what's going on as we drop into this conversation. The second book of Corinthians is a letter that Paul actually wrote to the church in Corinth that he started, and he's kind of describing his experience, his story. He's telling them his story, and he says, you know, that God has revealed such remarkable things to him and has called him that, that to, to tell these things and to spread these things out to all the church, <clears throat> churches that he starts, and even beyond that, to everybody who would be cr- called a Christian, he's gonna, he's gonna give this remarkable uh, revelation And yet God has allowed him to keep him humble. He's allowed him to experience this affliction. And that's what he's telling him. And you might be thinking, that's kind of sick. Like, why would God do that? Why does Paul need that? I mean, he's gonna face enough affliction and enough persecution and enough people laughing at him that why would he need this as well? Why didn't God just take that away? And as I was preparing this weekend, I found an interesting story about codfish. And, uh, in northeastern codfish, there was this big commercial fisheries up in the northeast, and then there was this huge demand for codfish out on the west coast. And so they were thinking about, okay, how do we get our supply out to this demand? That's a long way to go for a fish. And so they get around a table, and they all decide, okay, well, naturally, I think let's start out, let's freeze them. We're going to catch them, we're going to freeze them, we're going to put them in trucks, and we're going to ship them out west. But the problem was, is by the time they got out west the fish would lose most of its flavor because of being frozen. And they're like, okay, this isn't gonna work. This, that's not good. Let's all get back around the table. And then somebody's like, well, why don't we just build big tanks that we can put the live codfish in. They can swim around as they're enjoying their little trip and journey out to the West Coast. And uh, once they get there, they'll be alive and it'll be all good. Well, the fish arrive on the West Coast and it's even worse than before. The fish had lost its flavor, but also they became soft and mushy. And so there was texture issues going on. And if you know me very well, texture issues are a big deal, okay? Like, especially with food, I mean, and especially fish. Like, soft, mushy fish, not good, okay? Not, not down for that. And so they were like, we gotta, we gotta figure this out. So they come back to the table. And they had to have somebody there that was either a genius or he was just a sick mastermind because he comes up with the idea, let's take the natural enemy of the codfish, the catfish, and we're gonna put some catfish into these live tanks that we've already built, and so we're gonna put the catfish in there with the cod as they're traveling. 
And what would happen is that the catfish would then chase the cod all over the tank for the entire duration of the trip, just chasing and chasing and trying to catch him. His natural enemy, I mean, think about for codfish, is like, uh, what in the world? You're putting me in a tank with this? But when they arrived, they were fresh. They were better. The, the flavor was there. There was no loss of texture. You see, the catfish provided just the right amount of attention for the codfish to stay alive, alert, and fresh and growing. You see, I think for Paul, I think this is what, when he talks about God gave, allowed this to happen to me so that I would remain humble, it provided the right amount of attention in Paul's life for him to remain humble and for him to remain dependent upon God. So who's to say, if Paul needed something like this, who's to say that some of the afflictions and some of the situations that we find ourselves in that God allows in our life, not that he makes happen, but that he allows in our life, Maybe it's something that we are gonna have to grow in. It keeps us humble. It keeps us alive. It keeps us fresh. I think that gives us insight to when God says no. And in verse seven, it says this. We're gonna pick it up in verse seven. It says, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited because of these amazing things that God had revealed to him, I was given a thorn in my flesh. Now, many of you have probably used that terminology throughout the years to describe people in your life. Maybe it's an ex-husband or an ex-wife. Maybe it's a boss or a mother-in-law or a father-in-law or a teacher or a, or a neighbor or a coach, whatever it was. You described them as a thorn in your flesh, like it was a constant torment. You didn't even know you were quoting scripture at that point, but you were. That's where it comes from, a thorn in the flesh. In his case, it was literally some sort of affliction, some physical ailment, some malady that followed him wherever he went. He even went on to describe it later uh, in, in the verse. It says that it was a messenger from Satan to torment me. Now, we don't know if he meant it literally or figuratively. All of us have probably said before, you know, hey, we've had a vacation from hell. Or maybe we've had a week from hell. Or we we kind of attribute a really, really bad situation to something satanic or hellish. But we mean it in a figurative way. We don't know what he literally means. Nobody really knows that. But he says, whatever this thorn in his flesh was, that it was so awful that it tormented him every single day, every single trip, every time he got onto a ship, every time he got off of a ship, every, every time he went to stay with a church or with someone, every time he got up to speak, every time he wrote a letter, it was a constant torment to him. Some people think it might have been recurring epilepsy that he would just kind of wake up. He, he never knew when he was gonna have a seizure. He would wake up on the floor, and back then, they would equate that with demonic possession. Some thought <clears throat> that it might be recurring malaria. Others thought that it might have to do with, with something with his eyesight. We know that Paul had really, really bad eyesight, and, and maybe they attributed it to that. We just don't know, but we do know that there was some kind of physical ailment that was just a constant torment to Paul during this time. Everywhere he went, every place he did ministry. Now imagine this. Okay, you're the guy, you're Paul, that has been called specifically by God to do the most important thing that anyone could do during that generation, and at the end of the day, he's very successful at it, and God says no. For him, he must have been like, you know, God, would you please just kind of, you know, take this away? All I'm asking you to do, and in his case, he would, he would be able to say, God, all I'm asking you to do is what I have seen you do and other people. Would you heal me? God, all I'm asking you to do is what you've actually even done through me to heal other people. Would you just heal me? And in fact, he says in verse eight, he says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. 
And these were seasons of prayer. This wasn't like Paul on a Monday said, God, would you please take it away from me? And then on a Tuesday, he said, God, would you please take it away from me? He skipped Wednesday because there was something going on at Town Square. And then Thursday, he said, you know, hey, God, would you take this away from me? And God said no. And so he said, well, okay, all right. No, these are seasons of begging. These are seasons of pleading. We don't know. Maybe it was for days and nights that Paul would drop to his knees and just plead with God. Maybe he fasted and he prayed. I don't know. But he just got so bad that he just didn't ask God. He pleaded with God, would you please take it away? And think of the bargaining power that Paul had. I mean, he was doing something incredible. You know when you, how you and I bargain with God. And it's just like, God, if you would please just get me through this, if you would get me the promotion, if you would get me the grade on the test, if you would just uh, allow this to happen, then God, I will attend all seven Easter services. I, I promise next year I will do it. I will do it. God, you know that I, if you just come through, I will give more, I will serve more. God, if you come through in this, you know, I, I'll never touch another drink. I'll never smoke any more weed. God, I'll never, I'll never, I promise, I'll always, I'll never. You know how we bargain with God. But imagine Paul's bargaining power with what he was doing, with what he was called to do. And in spite of this, God said no. No, no, I'm not gonna remove it. But then he, he gives this supplement and he said in verse nine, it says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. No, Paul, but my grace is sufficient for you. I'm not gonna give you what you're asking for, but my grace is sufficient for you. No, I'm not gonna take this away from you, but my grace is sufficient for you. I'm not gonna, you're gonna have to go into another season without. You're gonna have to go through another season dealing with this, this, this tormenting ailment, but my grace is sufficient for you. Now, grace in this context, I think it's just the ability to put one foot in front of the other because some days in the midst of life and when we're in the midst of struggle, that's all we can do. Grace is the ability to get up and get through another day. Grace is the ability to go into work and endure it one more time. Grace is the ability to come home to the unknown for one more afternoon. Grace is the ability to keep going in spite of the fact that nothing around you has changed to find the energy, to find the strength, to find the faith, to keep moving in the direction that God would have you move. That's grace. And so God says to Paul, whom he loved, no, I'm not gonna remove this physical problem, this physical impediment, but I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you the, the strength to keep going forward. My grace is sufficient. That is, it's adequate. It's actually even more than enough for you, Paul. It is enough. My grace is sufficient for you. And then look at this next statement in verse nine. It says, for my power is made perfect. That is mature, comes to full fruition, fully exploited. My, my power is made perfect in weakness. Now see, none of us would sign up for that, right? None of us, you know, God, we want your power, you know, to show up and we want your glory to be made known, but we really would rather you not do it in our weakness, I mean, we would much rather be the guy that is running into the end zone with a football in one hand and then we Tebow in the end zone or we point up to God. We would much rather that be how you show your glory. 
We would much rather be the woman that's standing on the stage in front of an ovation after the second encore and just tap our heart and then look up to heaven. We would much rather you show your glory through that. God, we would much rather be uh, the, the salesman of the year and we get the award and we go up to the podium and they're gonna let me say a few things. And so we say, I would like to thank my associates. I'd like to thank the company. I'd like to thank my family. Oh, and last but not least, I would love to thank my father in heaven because without God, I wouldn't be where I'm at. That's how we want him to show off his glory, right? That's where we want his power to be made perfect, <clears throat> not in our weakness. We're all about giving God glory, but we don't want him to leverage his glory on the stage of our weakness. We want it out of our talent, out of our opportunity, out of our strength, out of our accomplishment. God, give us glory for that. And you know what? God does that sometimes. I'm just like you. I'm sitting there watching the TV and having an interview and somebody says something amazing and gives glory to God in that moment. I'm like, yes, that's awesome. Some of you become instant fans of teams because they've got a Christian as a quarterback. You know, it's like, that's awesome that God's using that. But a lot of times in the real world, when we're in, a, in, in, in tough situations, do we want God to get glory in from that? Are we willing to go through that so that God has made much of? Because sometimes God's not gonna leverage your successes. He's not gonna leverage the skill that he's given you. He's not gonna leverage your opportunity or the talent or even the discipline that you married with the skill that he's given you. He says, I'm not gonna do that. In this particular case, in your life, I'm gonna leverage your weakness. I'm gonna leverage your inability. I'm gonna, I'm gonna leverage the lack of opportunity that you have. I'm gonna leverage what some people would consider failure. That's where I'm gonna be made much of. But I'm telling you this, that my grace is sufficient for you and my power is made perfect in your weakness. God will, has, and probably <clears throat> is going to showcase his strength on the stage of your weakness at some point in your life. And we need to be able to be ready. We need to be <clears throat> ready to take no for an answer. And we need to be able to grow through the no. Grow through the no. In verse nine, Paul kind of gets to that spot and he's, <clears throat> he's, he hears, my grace is sufficient, my power is made perfect. And so then he says, therefore I, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Yeah, I don't wanna have this physical impediment, but you know what I want more? Is I want Christ to dwell on, in me and on me. I want his power in my life. And you're like, yeah, but Paul, you've had some successes. I mean, Paul, look at who you are, you're, you're Paul. And Paul says, yeah, I know, but I think God really gets to show off best his strengths in the midst of my weaknesses, when in the midst of my struggle. And so if that means that I've gotta go through that so that Christ's power may rest and dwell and take up residence in or on me, so be it. And he continues in verse 10 and he says, that is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I mean, is he giving, giving up here? Is he just kind of throwing in the towel? Is he making this up? I mean, who says that? I delight in weaknesses and in insults and in hardships and in, uh, in difficulties for when I am weak, I am strong. I mean, that's an amazing, amazing statement. But have you ever met somebody that in the midst of their struggle and pain, once you get below the surface of just the circumstance and you really talk to them and they begin to say, I don't know how I'm doing it, but all I know is it's by the grace of God. I know that when I think I have nothing left, God has done some incredible things in and through me. 
When somebody like that, that is going through a struggle, can say, his grace is sufficient for me. When I'm weak, he is strong. They will blow you away. They're the most kind of take your breath away, impressive, incredible Christ followers that you will ever meet. Yeah, sometimes God is gonna say no. Sometimes your circumstances aren't gonna change. And he says, I'm not gonna fix that. I'm not gonna interrupt the laws of nature this time. I'm not gonna overwhelm his power to decide. I'm not gonna drag him back. I'm not gonna drag her back. I'm not gonna make them change their minds. No, I'm not gonna do that. But in the meantime, while you pray, know that I'm at work. Know that I'm working on them. Know that I'm working on through other people. In the meantime, as you sit here, I need you to know that my grace is sufficient for you. And it's like he's asking us, are you gonna grow through the no? When I tell you no, are you gonna look at it and allow it to, 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 to be able to display my glory? Are you gonna grow through the no? And in order to do that, and as we close, there's a few things that I think we've gotta know in that. First is we gotta know that we have permission to ask God to remove our thorns. We've got permission to do that. It's not a lack of faith. It's not a bad thing for you in the midst of, of a struggle or pain going, God, would you please take this away? Would you please do something? Would you please change something? It's part of the process. It's part of the communication. It's a part of this back and forth kind of growing relationship that we have with God. You need to ask for that stuff. You need to cry out. You need to plead. But we also have to know that God has permission to say no. And just like we have permission to ask him to take it away, he's got permission to say no. We've got to resist the urge to, to, to enter into a cause and effect kind of relationship with God. Where it says, you know, if I, then you will. We've got to resist that. It's not a if I go to church enough times. If I, you know, share the gospel enough times. If I go to the Bible study enough. If I can quote enough scripture. If I do all of these things, God, you will come through when I ask you for something. Because if you're in that type of a relationship with God, if that's kind of the nature of how you view him and how you view your relationship, you will be frustrated the majority of your life. Because it's not about that. It's not about if I, then you will. If somebody's gonna be the Lord and the Savior and sovereign over your life, it doesn't mean that you get the choice to kind of try to manipulate him through your behavior to do what he, you want him to do. You see, the creation can never dictate to the creator how he should create. And we can't do that with God or else we're gonna be frustrated and we're gonna be left saying, why God, why God, why God? for a long time. So we have permission to ask him to remove the thorns. He has permission to say no. We also have to know that God may choose to showcase his power and his strength on the stage of your weaknesses. Things might never get better. Things might not work out. Things might not be healed. Things might not come back together. I know for me, when my mom was struggling with her health uh, this past September, we, she, couldn't, she didn't leave the house for six months dealing with congestive heart failure, uh, dealing with all these kind of things. And we prayed and we prayed and we prayed and we pleaded and we pleaded and we pleaded. God, would you please just heal her? Would you restore her health? Would you give her some semblance of quality of life? But in September, she went home to be with Jesus. 
It didn't get better. There wasn't a, a, a neat story, but sometimes God's gonna show up and he's gonna show off on the stage of our weaknesses just like he did with us. In a horrible, hard time to be able to say his grace is sufficient for me. And then finally, you gotta know that you cannot experience sustaining grace while resisting his will. You have to know that you cannot experience sustaining grace while resisting his will. You see, sustaining grace begins with not my will, but your will be done. Doesn't matter what I want. I'm gonna tell you what I want, but your will be done. It's the same prayer that Jesus had in the Garden of Gethsemane. It it, it reflected perfectly Paul's prayer when Paul's saying, take this away. Jesus is in the garden. He knows he's about to go to the hill to be crucified with excruciating pain. And he doesn't go in there and go, God, I'm so excited that we get to do this. Thank you, Father, for allowing me to go experience what I'm about to experience. No, he broke down on his knees. He begins to sweat blood and he says, God, is there any other way? Because I don't wanna drink this cup. I don't wanna take this cup of death. I don't wanna take this cup of crucifixion. Can you just take it away? You know what I want. You know what I would like for you to do. But then he ends it right there and he says, you know what? In the midst of that, you know what I want. You know what I would like for you to do differently. But ultimately, Father, it is not my will, but your will be done. And he gave himself over to the will of the Father and he experienced that sustaining grace. You and I will not experience sustaining grace in our life if we resist his will. So for us, the hope is that we see a man that God used mightily but still struggled. And we have to get to a a spot in our life where we can, uh, when those things begin to move deep into our heart, these things that we are supposed to know, and it moves into our character and it becomes who we are and how we live. And it's at that point that we will begin to grow through the nose of our life. That when God says no, we don't crater, but that we begin to thrive and we begin to grow because his grace is sufficient for us. And his power is made perfect in weakness. And when we are weak, we are strong through him. Let's pray. God, thank you for your scripture. God, thank you for the hope that we can find in the life of Paul. God, I thank you that in the midst of struggle, that you're right there with us. The God that you don't, You don't leave us without anything, but the God that you promise that your grace is sufficient for us. And God, for some of us in this room, that might even be hard to hear. We can't really see even past our circumstances. Like there's there's something that's been going on for a long time that that, that we just hope and pray and plead that it's just taken away, but it hasn't been. And God, in this moment for, for, for that person, for those people, God, I pray that supernaturally they just have a, 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 just a, a sense of your presence in their life, that that grace becomes something more than just words on a page, but that it becomes tangible. That God, somehow through our pain, that God, that you will redeem it, that you will restore it, that God, that you will give us the ability to give you glory in whatever situation we find ourselves in. 
God, it is only through your power that we are gonna be able to grow through the difficult times of our life. And so, Father, this week, may we struggle well. God, may we point other people to you by the way that we handle hard situations. And God, we're thankful that you show up and you show off just as you promised. God, help us to do that this week. Help us to grow through your know. It's in your son's name we pray, amen.